This is Midweek Motion, a creative outlet of Grace Avenue Church designed to help lead, feed, and guide you in things that honor God and build His purpose in you. Here we'll deep dive into curated content, interviews, principles, and conversations that nurture and fan the flames of the diverse gifts, talents, dreams, and aspirations that you hold near and dear. C.S. Lewis once said, the task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. Perhaps today's episode will flood your heart and mind like a fresh stream that flows with motivation, inspiration, and education. This is Midweek Motion. All right, everybody, we've got Dr. Mark Jones with us here today. So glad to be with you. Uh, you and I go way back, a long time. Many years. Many years. Uh, you've helped me personally. You've helped my family. You've helped many people I know in our church. Uh, and you've been uh, a huge help to so many people I know here in thank San Antonio you. and abroad. So thank you for all you do. I'm excited to, to jump in with you today. It's going to be good. Thank Looking you for, forward to it. Yeah, thank you for saying yes. So uh, let's let's just kind of start from the beginning for those of, uh, who don't know you. Um, who Let's tell people who you are and, w- and what you do. Dr. Mark Jones, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I su- I'm a supervisor, supervising therapist, and also a continuing education provider and I was fully licensed in 1992, and not counting graduate school, I've been doing this since 1990. 1990. Long time, about 100,000 hours. And oh. also I'm an ordained minister as well. I, as if I weren't going to enough school, yeah. I was doing the ordained ministry track while I was in school as well. Okay, and you also sing, we didn't know that. I also sing. Yeah, I at sing, the I've been singing at Cornerstone Church, mm-hmm. John Hagee Ministry, since 1974 when we had 50 people. Wow. And you used to sing at the rodeo as well. 25 years, all the national anthems at the San Antonio Rodeo. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah, I've seen that before. Um, let's talk about what initially drove you. Obviously, you know, marriage, family, therapy, counseling. What initially drove you to want to do this in the first place? What drove me there, I would say, made me aware of it probably is a more accurate way of saying it. Dad and mom divorced when I was uh, six years old approximately. We were in Houston, Texas. Dad drove off, no explanation. Picture a six-year-old, no explanation blindsided totally just one night at about 10 o'clock at a, at a truck stop being towed by hugged by your dad and he drives off you have no idea you had no warning and no explanation my brother was eight years old and so me and my brother and mom were standing there and so dad leaves we were in his house and we had no place to live so we lived in a storage building for two years me and my mom and brother Hungry every now and then, not bad. Oatmeal expands your stomach. Sure. The morning it was pretty inexpensive. After two years, mom married a man who was a physical and psychological and emotional abuser. So uh, I would have panic attacks and hate at the same time and fear as he would beat my mother in front of us as he would rage and she'd be begging for mercy. Blood, sweat, and tears flying. And How old were you at that that point. was uh, eight years old, approximately, when that started happening. Okay. And so um, I'm sure she was lonely. You know, she married this man, and and she was lonely, needed companionship, and uh, thought me and my brother needed a father figure. 
that would be a loving mother. It would be normal for a loving mother to think that way. At the time when I look back, I didn't have that need. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was good. You were happy with mom, yeah. Yeah, and your happy brother, with yeah. mom. We were good. And so it led us into this trauma, traumatizing life. And uh, finally, she escaped in the middle of the night as he chased us down the road trying to kill all of us. And so it was a traumatizing time. It led me into, uh, nobody understood, this was in the 60s, so nobody understood trauma, panic attacks, anything of that nature. They, they didn't know how to diagnose it, understand it, or treat it. Right. They would just say, you know, go over there and pray and ask the Lord to help you, and, which I did. Guarantee you I did. We were in a desperate time. And so from there, throughout school, uh, I began to evaluate all of what had happened, the effects of it in my life, the trauma effects, how I would get triggered, where I would be around a personality, a man personality, or a look or sound of a voice of a personality like stepfather who used to beat mom, and my hand would start shaking. But my intellect, when I would, I would be saying, I'm okay, I'm unsafe, there's no problem. But uh, my hand would start shaking like a PTSD symptom would get triggered. Mm-hmm. And then that moved me into like wondering what this was, finding out more about it, because I realized, began to realize high school, but especially college, uh, that my mind automatically thought in the direction of human behavior, analyzing, evaluating, what is this I'm experiencing? Mm. And so uh, first, I have to tell you this, and so I was already thinking in that direction, so the first week of college in uh, 1973 I had just arrived at school up in Waxahachie Texas as about 10 o'clock at night I'm sitting out on a bench thinking you know about wow I'm in college here you know (laughs) and kind of alone and I'm sitting there and this girl I had seen earlier that day and just said hello to you know meeting everybody came, I don't know where she came from, came and sat down beside me in the park bench and said, can I speak to you? Hmm. And I said, sure, you know, why'd you come speak to me? We really don't even know each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, well, I just somehow, when I saw you today and you said hello, thought you could help me. And I thought, that has to be God Hmm. moving, doing something. She gave me this complex scenario about her family problem and I knew I didn't have the tools and the schooling to yeah. know how what the answer was, but somehow I knew the answer. Mm. And I gave her a complex answer and I just let it flow as it came to me. And then after we were there for 45 minutes or so, she went running off happy. And when she left, I said, God, what is that? And he spoke to me and said, that's how giftings work. Mm. And so I realized, oh, okay. This is the direction I'm supposed to go. That's how it started. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's almost like a, a sovereign, divine, holy moment where it just exactly. the trajectory of your life was set, and uh, you weren't really looking for it. Yeah. It just kind of kind of fell into your life. I understood it. I understood it in that moment. You know, when God shows you something, it's far clearer than your own understanding. Right. Absolutely. Look, marriages, uh, family dynamics, uh, relationships, all of that is, is difficult. 
<laughs> no matter how how good and yeah. uh, school you are at, even if you came from a great family, right? Yeah. It's, it, the reality is when you're starting a marriage, when you're in a relationship, you have different human beings trying to go in one direction. What are um, what, what would you say to people who want to do family well, want to do marriage well, they want to do relationships well, but maybe they didn't have a lot of great examples in their life? And that's the case, Pastor Daniel, with a lot of people. They didn't have training they during their developmental years didn't really get trained they were underdeveloped but also they got traumatized mm-hmm. you know there's verbal abuse psychological physical abuse neglect never being told you were loved felt inadequate not good enough rejected slapped humiliated you know uh, beaten rapes murders molestations assaults happen in right. family environment, you know. Right, so, and, and just to stop you there for a second, because a yeah. lot of this stuff stays secret. That's correct. And so people get into relationships, they get into new friendships, they get into marriages, they get into new churches, new and they haven't talked about this stuff. That's right. But it's within them. It's the memories inside. are there, the experiences are there, and That's associated right. with that is a lot of, a lot of shame. That's right. I, I think sometimes it, there's a, a whole, where do I begin? Where do I even pull this apart and start to dissect what happened. That's right? right. And you're right. They're ashamed to even talk about it. And they're not quite so sure, like we were talking earlier, that anyone would understand it anyway. And furthermore, would anybody ever be able to take them to a place of healing? So yeah. they just keep it inside of them. And the false assumption people make everywhere is that because when time, if time passes by, maybe it'll get better. Right. And what I've found after doing this 100,000 hours, uh, it doesn't go away accidentally. Trauma does not just dissipate somewhere in the atmosphere or in your body. It stays there. And then in relationships, even unintentionally, people transfer their unresolved traumas onto someone they love. Right. Sometimes just not even intentionally. It just not even intentionally. It happens. You know, a huge, um, I think, attribute of Grace Avenue what we do is we, we value very much healing, wholeness. It's always been part of our DNA, how we try to get people to this place of healing and, and wholeness. And so I understand this language that you're talking about, but, but a lot of times, a lot of churches or pastors don't. because this, this is a value, and this is something that we take seriously. You know, Jesus came to, to heal and to, to make people whole. Um, what are some of the basic tools that you think people are, are missing when they're entering into these relationships, just newness of family, marriage, things like that? The first thing is they believe, and it's exciting, that love can take them through it all, just their their love and excitement in the relationship. But it's the tools, like you were saying, that are crucial. Mm-hmm. And what they're missing typically are principles of functioning healthily in a relationship and in a marriage. And those would be in regard to communication, living together in the same household personality differences differences. understanding each other's love languages Mm -hmm. understanding each other's culture their training their weak areas and their strength areas and i have spent a lot of time putting together principles and i can give you just a few of them quickly that turn that will be effective tools number one stay close to god you're not going to stay close to God, even if you're a professing Christian, if you do nothing right. to keep yourself renewed. Right. Keep yourself renewed, say scripture, have prayer, 
doesn't have to be an hour Bible study every morning. Right. You can do one minute yeah. consistently. After a year, it's 365 minutes. Right. See it that way. Right. And it does build up. So keep yourself personally and in your relationships renewed in the Lord because spiritual intimacy is the deepest and most eternal intimacy if you see it that way. Mm. And the second principle is don't wound with words. I was reading the book of James again yesterday and he words it so bluntly, said, put a bit in your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, where you don't yeah. speak evil. Yeah. And so uh, don't wound with words. And um, the next one is don't get into adultery, mm. you know, or, or fantasy lust, you know, mm. porn addictions and, you know, all of these secret addictive fantasy lust, I call it. Uh, that are exciting. The Bible says sin is fun for a season, mm-hmm. but after that, it's death or destruction in some way, right? Mm-hmm. But during fantasy lust, the outcome or the destructive part of it to come, they're blinded to. And so they get set up and then they move into it. So mm-hmm. don't betray, you know, each other. Mm-hmm. And the next, the next thing is uh, speak each other's love language, like I said a minute ago. For example, what typical, what's typical in human behavior is people speak their own love language to the one they love and expect the one they love to feel loved. Right. But what we have to do is learn what, how the other one feels love and humbly, sacrificially, give them what they need to feel loved. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's surprising to me how either unwilling or how difficult that is for people just to humble themselves and ask their spouse, the one they love, how do you feel love? What can I do? And that's a very difficult challenge. Uh, there's many reasons why. Mm. Uh, they feel vulnerable. You know, uh, vulnerability for the wounded people feels like weakness. Right. And weakness feels like no control. And no control feels like they're going to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. And it leads to that, even if they don't totally understand it. It's almost like a person that's drowning in the water, slapping around, panicking when they don't have control and that's lash out at the first person. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, one, that's another principle. And then understand each other's personality differences. You know, really get to know the other person. What I found is love is um, exciting and, and it makes people believe that because they're passionate and so excited about being with each other that they know each other. Spend time getting to know the other person. One of the key principles, the differences in the personality type. At mm. first, a difference in the personality might seem that you're, the other one is filling a weak area for you. It could mm. be that. Right. It should be that. Each person has different giftings. The Bible says that. But later on, if you don't understand the differences, then it becomes the point of contention and conflict. Mm. And so personality differences, very crucial. And so those are just some key, those are just some key principles, but I'll tell you one that's crucial. I counsel with a lot of family that don't have a relationship with their son or daughter. Mm. And here's why. They're mean to them growing up, lashed out, called them names. And then let's say a son, gets an incoming uh, girl, future daughter-in-law that they love. Well, then the, his father or mother don't accept her, right? Don't think she's good enough for him. Mm-hmm. But you know what that's going to turn into. 
later on they won't want to be around the mm-hmm. mother or father who rejected her right and there is a problem right so if you train your son and if you trained your daughter trust your training mm. and trust their decisions that's really big that is a crucial principle yeah i mean it puts the the weight on the parents to raise them up right values right. principles help them see long-term vision of what what they're actually reaching for what you're signing up for right that's exactly right um speaking of children you have four three daughters and a son three daughters and a son okay and uh my wife i call her is a saint is she i met her she's amazing yeah i'll tell you when i'm building when i was building my practice all those years Teresa was home with three daughters and a son. Mm-hmm. That's why I call her a saint. And now, she went through her own uh, traumatic uh, life and upbringing. Yeah, went through her own trauma. She was. Uh, she doesn't mind me saying what I'm about to say. I've double-checked with her many times, you know. Sure. But she talks to people candidly as well about her past. So she was, when she was in elementary school, sexually molested by her biological father, and he molested her sister, my wife's sister, and her first cousin, and then he ran off never to be heard from again. And uh, I'm sure it was, you know, it was a lifestyle he, doesn't, he didn't want exposed, you know. So she was um, molested there, and then her mother, uh, after that, had revolving door boyfriends. And so Teresa, in elementary, middle school, would have her boyfriends come in and they would be drunk, and then they would, they would go in the room and sexually molest uh, Teresa as she screamed, and her mother would go on the other side of the house so she couldn't hear her daughter screaming. And then her mother would be gone a lot. She was traumatized, you know. And uh, her mother would be gone a lot with boyfriends, two or three weeks at a time. So Teresa and her two-year-old sister would be in the house. The lights would be turned off because bills weren't paid. Uh, water would be turned off because bills weren't paid. No food in the house. They had to make one jar of peanut butter go as far as they could. And so they, she was scared a lot and uh, would have to walk to school. And she had a, she had a, traumatic, a traumatic life that I'll tell you, only God could heal. However, a person has to seek after that healing you know even though god knows they need healing Mm -hmm. he's ready to heal beyond our natural ability but teresa started um i met i saw teresa didn't really meet her in middle school we went to the same middle school mark twain middle school we were in an orchestra together i played of all things the cello she played the clarinet and that's where i just started seeing her then we went to edison high school same kind of thing together and I was singing by then I would sing in in these assemblies at Edison High School we would talk every now and then and then six years later we saw each other again in a shopping trip and we talked we stopped and talked and she was asking me if I she asked me if I was still singing and I said yes did you say singing and single yes (laughs) yes singing and single Uh, frankly when I saw her in the shopping uh, mall Uh when I saw her I thought I've got to find a way to either throw myself in front of this girl or something, you know, make her stop and talk to me. But um, she started going to Cornerstone. It wasn't Cornerstone back then. It was uh, Church of Castle Hills, Mm -hmm. 1980. Mm. And uh, she wanted to start going there. And uh, I let her salvation journey and decisions be hers. 
And the reason I say that and point that out is because, you know, if you do something just only that's good, even if it's good, for someone else, go to church for someone else, right? worship the Lord for someone else, mm-hmm. it's not their decision. Mm-hmm. So you have to decide. You know, the Bible says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Everybody's serving something or someone. Mm-hmm. And so she started going to Cornerstone. She had a desire for that, and she became a member pretty quickly, 1980. And a year later, in 1981, we got married. But during that time, she started a healing journey at church with counseling, ministries, retreats. And then after we got married, we we would go to many retreats, counseling, ministry together mm-hmm. to get our past healed. It's an intentional, proactive pursuit healing yeah. is. It had to be. You guys were a a recipe for absolute disaster absolutely you really were when you think about just your upbringing and what you endured if anybody had had endured just one eighth of what each of you experienced they already got a lot to resolve um how did that that past and all that stuff affect you guys because you've been married how many years now 41 41 years and four children and grandkids how many three three Uh, grandkids one two four four and another one being born in October. Yeah. Five. And so you got all that beauty, that treasure in your personal life. And then you've got all this extended treasure in the city, uh, people who you've helped to get healed and hold people like myself, people like others, people from our church who've gone and, and seen you and spoken with you. Look what the, the outcome is compared to what it could have been had you not pursued your own healing. That's right. So powerful. So what, what happens there is going on an intentional, proactive pursuit for healing, and then don't stop. You know, don't just go to one session, one ministry retreat, mm-hmm. and say, okay, it must be done. People get that confused, right? They say things like, God has forgiven me. I've forgiven the people who abuse me. All is well. The fact of the matter is forgiveness and healing are two different processes. Mm. People forgive all the time, sincerely, and receive forgiveness from God, but may not be healed. Mm-hmm. It's, a two, it's a different process. Once I realized that, I had to go through that forgiveness process, but then also I had to go on the healing process. Now, healing, forgiveness can begin healing, but it does not complete healing. Mm. So it is a, a pursuit, and so my point with that is, finish it out and I'm often asked how do I know I'm healed well the answer that is if on a rational scale you're dealing with a one to five issue and your emotional reaction is a five to ten you're not healed Mm -hmm. that's one quick way behaviorally to find out yeah if on a rational scale it's one to five and your emotional response is a one to five it's parallel with it it's equal to or less really what you want to your goal is to be less than the mm-hmm. scenario. And that's one behavioral present tense way to find out if you're healed. I call those wound behaviors. I wrote mm-hmm. my book, The Walking Wounded. Right, right. And I call them wound behaviors because mm-hmm. woundedness and trauma create behaviors. Yeah. So if you're no longer acting wounded and you don't have a hyper uh, accelerated emotional reaction that's far beyond the issue, then 
you could you could look at that and say i've done the work to be healed mm. we're not looking for perfection right of course right we're looking for do you act wounded yeah that's, progress that's a good way to right yeah right and there's it's a, it is a process it's not just going to happen overnight yeah. it's a process typically it's um depending on the level of trauma and the recurrence of the trauma and how long it's been there learned behaviors can develop around wound behaviors so even after you're healed you also have to dismantle the learned behavior around it so you want to get with someone like myself or someone who does this all the time mm-hmm. and help and and i and help people through it you know you want to come to somebody that has has done this a hundred thousand hours and understands yeah. it that's not a glory to mark statement but i would want to go to someone who has been well, helping somebody this long you think about it we would if someone's been a mechanic for 40 years we would think they know what they're talking about when it comes to vehicles if they know technology we would think they have an idea about technology but there's still such a stigma and such a fear about yeah. counseling. There is. Uh, shame. I mean, I, I'm excited because when I started studying this 20 years ago, a little over 20 years, geez, 25 years ago, the the stigma was there. And it was, I was, you know, I'm more of a Gen X generation, but the generation before me, there was no talking about whatsoever, especially in Hispanic culture. You don't talk right. about family right. stuff. You don't let it out of the house. Keep it in the circle. Don't take it out. No one's to know anything. Um, and I think that that furthered um, a lot of the damage that continued to happen because people never talked about things. They never talked about hurts. So you're trying to raise, you know, pastoring people, you're trying to raise people to be healed and whole and healthy, and they're following the Lord, and they're going for it. They're building their life, right? And they've got pieces of the framework that they've laid out of what they don't want. Right. I don't want this because this is with my house. I don't want that. I don't want poverty. I don't want abuse. I don't want. So they're laying out all the the framework for the walls. But then there's something that's really corroded over here that as they're building just slowly, um, you know, eats away at them or eats away at their relationship or their their ability to communicate in a healthy way. Um, Exactly. There's a there's a behavior. There's a phenomenon. Almost I call it called trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. And people can trauma bond if they're not healed. They will trauma bond. Trauma yeah. bond is when you develop a bond with someone because of your trauma. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a real practical example of that is, let's say the person grew up in a home where there's a lot of arguing, a lot of yelling, throwing things, breaking things, cussing each other out, mm-hmm. you know, just aggression, hate. All right. Well, what happens is during those developmental years of a child, adolescent, teenager, young adult, they don't know it, but they're being programmed mm-hmm. to function at that level Absolutely. of negative energy, we'll call it. Absolutely. So let's say they get into a, what should be and could be uh, a peaceful relationship with somebody. Right. The other person doesn't like to argue, doesn't like to yell, they like to talk things out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the one that grew up in the trauma if it's peaceful for too long, they want to start an argument. Yeah. And if the other person won't argue with them and won't emotionally escalate, the one that grew up in the trauma starts believing that this other one doesn't care, doesn't right. love. So in other words, the amount of negative emotional escalation determines if this person feels the feels other one loves them. Right. 
And it's not even healthy. It's not even healthy. That's yeah. called trauma bonding. Yeah. That's difficult. Um, Cause a lot of that people don't even see until they're deep into the relationship, deep into the marriage. Kids are present, you know, That's correct. speaking of children, you have, you have four children. What can you say to uh, parents who are, are raising children with different personalities? Your children are all grown mm-hmm. into their own life now. Yes. Uh, how old is your, your youngest? 27. 27 up to 38. 38. So in that range, what can you say about children, the differences in their lives, growing them, raising them, different personalities, and then how to do that even as they're adults? You know, there's a scripture that says, um, train up a child, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child, the word train is a key word, train a child while they're in the child years, that's their child developmental years. Mm-hmm. Train them up uh, while they're in their child age, and then the Hebrew says, according to their, the child's particular gift or bent. The word bent mm. means personality type. So isn't that, look at, look at now that insight the scripture is giving train them according to their personality type yeah. and when they're old they won't depart from it for example you have one <clears throat> you have one child who likes to process and they like information and so they ask a lot of questions and they <clears throat> just want answers so they can think about it and then make sense of it yeah well a parent that doesn't understand that personality type will just think that the reason the child is asking why that they're being is that they're being defiant or rebellious or challenging the parent's authority but actually that's not it the child just wants information because that's their personality type mm-hmm. and so if a parent knows that they can just start answering questions here's why here's my thinking here's why we are going to not going to do it here's why we do this and then the child oh okay thank you right that, that makes sense <clears throat> all right so train them according to their particular personality or a, if a parent has another child who's just direct and to the point, doesn't want a lot of data, and they just look at the parent and say, Dad or Mom, just tell me what you want me to do. You don't have to explain it. Just tell me what you want to do and how much time do I have to do it. Right. And then if the parent doesn't see that as like sarcasm or <laughs> rebel, and they just see it as a personality type, right. then the parent will shift over and just say, okay, uh, if you would go take that trash out and right. I'll give you five minutes. And then, right. the, then that personality and the child says, okay, good, thank you, and walks off. Yeah. That's personality. Yeah. So these are different personalities. That's one of the key, that is, is a key understanding that really helped Teresa and I raise all the different personalities. Like you have to shift over and do what the scripture says. Think about it. Scripture knows what it's talking about. Right, right. <laughs> so that was one that was one key, but I'll tell you the other one is uh, Teresa and I decided that every day we would say a scripture up to five scriptures with each of our children every day and do it as something fun with them where they had fun doing it with dad, fun doing it with mom. Mm-hmm. I took the lead on that and we would sit down and I would say, okay, you know, children, uh, let's say our scriptures together. Mm-hmm. They'd be so excited about it because something fun, they repeated it, and then they would laugh and maybe sing a song about it, yeah. make, you know, make up thing. And, you know, when you're doing that kind of a thing, you want it to be fun. You never want to punish with scripture. Like, if you don't behave yourself, I'm going to make you read five verses. Never do that. 
And so I would say scripture with them, and they would say it out loud. Well, before they knew it, they knew, before you knew it, they knew 50 Bible verses. Yeah. And there's a scripture that says, and it's Psalms 119, I believe it is, says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart mm -hmm. so that I won't sin against God. Well, the way you hide something deep in a child's heart, repetition and consistency. Yeah. If they do it over and over and over, it'll get inside of them. It's something fun. It's a positive experience. Mm -hmm. That is one of the, if not the wisest things God showed us to do, and we stayed very consistent with it until they were 18 years old, going to college. And that's another thing. If you'll do something consistent and it's not a, a negative experience for them, mm -hmm. they don't think they're too old for you to pray with them and say a scripture with them. Right. But if you don't do it when they're young, they're going to be uncomfortable with it as they get older. Right. That's powerful. Um, I, I often tell uh, men when I'm speaking to our men, uh, I'll say that, you, you know, your family is not an experiment. Like, you have a responsibility here. There's accountability here. That's right. This is important um, because I've seen a lot of, a lot of guys – get to the family, get the family started, get it up to a certain point and then blow it up. Right. Yeah. And just, I try to help men think through the realities of their decisions, everyday decisions, right? Adultery, an affair, uh, bad money management, all of these things. Sometimes people are just thinking them, thinking of them in terms of good and bad. This is the good thing to do. This is the bad thing to do, but they haven't thought through the long-term effects and the impact on the wife, on the children, on the income, on how that could literally like a grenade and send shrapnel into uh, someone's life right. and then take them another generation to overcome some of those things that were set back because of the decision of a father, decision of a man in a family. So what, what would you say to men uh, in just re regarding manhood and living for long-term value for themselves and their family, living for God, living for purpose. One of the things I had to do, and I began to realize it, was I was underdeveloped because of the trauma I went through. When you're not, you're not uh, developing and, and being trained when you're in survival mode because of trauma. And so then mm -hmm. when I had these, this accountability as a husband and eventually a husband and a father, I began to realize I was underdeveloped in some areas. So okay. I began to Can I just stop you right there? Yes. Can we go back? You said yes. survival mode. What does survival mode look like for, how would you define that? Survival mode is people have been traumatized and the effects of trauma, anxiety, panic, brain on high alert, avoidance, avoidances, depression, uh, hypersensitivities. You're just trying to get through the next day. Mm -hmm. You're trying to avoid getting hurt or wounded again. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so you're in survival mode, and that's what you're learning. You're not growing mm -hmm. developmentally in your mind, your emotional intelligence. How much have you learned? How much do you know or not know? How do you function in relationships? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I realized I was underdeveloped because of trauma, wow. survival mode. Just every day trying to get through the weird yeah. feelings and emotions I was going through. Yeah because of it and so you realized you were underdeveloped underdeveloped yeah. so I began to ask myself where am I underdeveloped like what's it called where is it located is it a a personality issue not a personality disorder but 
during the time development years my personality which is a year one through a year seven incidentally did I not develop in some area about the way that I think things through mm -hmm. and then age zero to 13 are the development years of a child's self-worth so I begin to ask myself uh, am I underdeveloped in the way I value myself or not value others or not mm -hmm. value God or not value myself or not perceived value from others do I push people off when they're trying to value me you know because I have some subconscious fear of people getting too close that's self-worth wounding and so self-image is uh, age 12 to 20 and I begin to realize as I gain knowledge about developmental years I begin to ask myself where am I underdeveloped and I would identify areas and then what I would do is I would go to retreats I would go to conventions I would read books I would listen to podcasts everything I could get my hands on to specifically target that underdeveloped area that was crucial in my life my first and second year of college yeah I read uh, during the summer I read um, one book a week Mm. to develop I knew I was underdeveloped so it's interesting people will, will target train particular areas of their body physically to That's increase correct. certain areas of health or strength um, but yet areas of the mind of the spirit of the soul things that need to be healed uh, we kind of push those aside that's correct. You know, it has so. to be an intentional thing. And be better if a person just identifies self-admission. Right. Like, where am I underdeveloped? Right. You know, it is a struggle for people to self-admit because they want to think highly of themselves, et cetera. It is, but it's, it's hard when people are living in that, those delusions of grandeur where That's they think correct. they are who they are, but everybody else can see something completely different. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's, and and in right. church community and in life where the spirit is sanctifying people and moving them forward uh, to become more like Christ. Obviously the word is washing them every week. Right. Things are growing. Things are changing. You can't stay in those delusions for, for very long. At least you shouldn't because That's people around you can see what you either can't see or won't admit. I think that's such a the, such a, a huge part of the blessing of church community. Yeah. Uh, people aren't judging you. They they pray for you. They yeah. believe the best about you. It's right. so so crucial not to just isolate, you know, and not be around a church community. It's very crucial yeah. not to isolate. And then once you begin to realize the areas you need to develop, uh, you intentionally develop them if you're not quite so sure how to do that yeah. get with somebody get once get with someone who knows who can help you give you some thoughts give you some advice help you network and then stay with it until you know you're in a good place for mm -hmm. example after I was married to Teresa a number of years we had uh, two children just before I went on my doctorate track I met with a man I realized there was a uh, something I didn't know about organization about measuring um, about measuring results, mm -hmm. measuring results. I thought, what? how do you measure a result? Mm -hmm. So there was a man higher up in the uh, Hilton organization that went to my church and he and I talked. I knew more about spiritual principles than he did. He knew more about measuring results, corporate, et cetera, mm -hmm. and corporate principles. And so we met for two years at lunch twice a month mm -hmm and brought a spiral notebook and a pen mm. 
and sat down for that per for that sole purpose of training each other. One time, one lunch, I would train him. He would ask me questions. I would talk to him about it. The next the next uh, lunch, I would ask him corporate questions. Mm -hmm. How how to measure how to how how to how to build your business by building your people. He mm -hmm. would call it, and that was a Huge. very productive thing. But I've noticed you look around, people don't do that. They don't, they don't pursue, and they should pursue people that have knowledge about right. something that right. they don't have. Well, part of the challenge right now is this right here, is they That's think correct. this is the gateway to everything. And the problem is uh, you can get a lot of information, you can get a lot of knowledge, but you don't necessarily have the wisdom uh, or the relationship uh, wisdom to know how to That's navigate correct. different personalities and different <clears throat> different personalities uh, at work, at home. I mean, I, I've just seen as a pastor people having basic communication challenges of just looking somebody in the eye and holding a conversation. A lot of fear, a lot of resistance, a lot of uncomfortable. I don't mm -hmm. know how because looking at a screen and texting That's somebody. Correct. Uh, sending emails, sending messages That's is true. far different than looking somebody eye and then holding. Like we've been talking for forty minutes already. Yeah. We haven't we haven't had a, an uncomfortable moment yeah. of like what do we do now? It just yeah. That's right. you know. But a lot of people have that, that challenge. There they have been conditioned now not to have exposure, you know, with someone uh, in mm -hmm. person, and so uh, what happens is they don't know how to form questions mm -hmm. and let it flow and listen very closely and learn maybe write notes about something they've learned right that is an important part of growth important part of growth that's what i've done while you're talking as you talked it's brought up more questions i'm writing a couple of them down i'm about to ask you some more but it is it's so helpful to be a good listener to the point where then it sparks a question right that's right so on that on that point about development and growth spend time. I would encourage the listeners today to spend some time asking themselves where am I underdeveloped where am I wounded and what behaviors does it create okay and then start doing work right mm -hmm. there it'll make you a person that is not only healthy but whole and it'll make your relationships healthier and just I would encourage listeners to as he says that to remember by doing that, you are building something beautiful for the future. That's correct. Something your kids can reap the harvest in, your coworkers, the business that you lead, the employees. An unhealed leader is a dangerous leader. That's correct. An unhealed leader leaves carnage. Unhealed pastors leave carnage That's in their right. congregation and their staff. Unhealed bosses leave employees scattered. That's exactly right. right. Uh, and you develop a reputation, right? So when That's I hear right. your reputation over the years, uh, oh, you know, almost the last 15 years, I've heard so many great things about you. People will say, oh, Dr. Mark Jones, this, and they'll specifically name the very thing that they were either brought out of or that they went through that they got help with. Yeah, and thank you. It's powerful. It's, it's so powerful. powerful. And you mentioned something on that note yeah. that's so true. Uh, you want a lineage that takes the purposes of God that you're doing, the health, the learning, the wisdom of God, and move it into the next generation rather than your woundings. 
mm-hmm. going to the next generation and to your children, and then they repeat the same woundings. Yeah. You want wisdom and growth and healing and right. their purpose, the purpose of God in their lives to move to that generation instead of your woundings moving to the next generation. You want people to say, he's just like his father, and that means something good, <laughs> not something bad, right? Or she's just like her mother. That's right. You want that to be good something healthy, something solid. Amen. Um, what kind of encouragement would you would you give to single moms? I know you've, you've had a ministry over the years that's blessed single moms, helped single moms. Uh, because of your ministry, we've been, we've been able to si- send single moms to your office and your establishment for, for counseling, uh, free of charge for them at times when they were walking through stuff. We, obviously, that developed because of your heart with your mother and your brother and what you guys experienced. That's how it started, yeah. Uh, but what kind of encouragement would you offer single moms? What I would offer a single mother is the very first thing you have to do is do your absolute best to stay close to God because there's a direct correlation. When you're going through hard times in life and you're alone and you don't have much help and if you're financially destitute, reach out and ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So mm-hmm. that would apply to this situation. Now, stay close to God because hard times, distressing times, wounding times will put you into a bad place, and it'll put you into a dark place. And to stay close to God will keep you out of that darkness, even if you really don't have many answers. That's the very first thing. Stay close to God. Listen to Christian music. Read scripture. Say scripture over. So everything you can do. Mm-hmm. Come to church. Get help. Let, let people pray with you. And so that's the first thing. The other thing is this. Uh, and I'm going to use my mom as an example. Uh, do what is good for your children. So mm-hmm. even though we were living in a storage building... My mom would take us to church every Sunday, and actually that's where we started singing. That's how we started singing. My mom sang. She played the piano, and uh, I think the pastor paid her $20 a month. Um, The part-time assistant choir director, just to give her a job, you know, he felt sorry for us, compassion on us. And so she would get my brother and I up on the platform and sing with her and teach us how to harmonize. That's actually where I started singing. So think about this, and I would encourage mothers this way. Something you do that seems small or turn into a huge result later on. That's the law of sowing and reaping. You mentioned that. You plant plant small seed, Mm -hmm. keep doing it, water it, it's going to turn into good fruit. Mm -hmm. Numerous times through the years singing at the San Antonio Rodeo for 25 years, and Cornerstone Church John Hagee Ministries for 46 years, however long it's been, I would often say to my mom, Mom, you just heard me sing. I said, that is fruit from the seed you planted in our lives during one of the roughest times of our life. So that's how I would encourage people. Even though you're going through a rough time, you still plant good seed. Absolutely. Plant good seed into your children, into your own life. And the scripture says that it always produce it's a law it's like gravity if you plant that cultivate the ground plant that seed water it yeah it's going to turn into good fruit absolutely it doesn't seem like it at the time because right. you could be in survival mode like i was right. talking stay encouraged get people around you that'll encourage you ask for help 
stay close to God, plant good seed. Absolutely. I mean, I think it has to come down to what kind of harvest do you hope for, right? You can't control the events of the weather, what's going to grow in the field. You don't know what life will bring you, your kids, but you know what? You know what you've planted in them, and you know what you put into them that can benefit them down the road. I tell our church this all the time. I'm I'm the... you know, I'm the fruit and, and the harvest of my parents making decisions in the hard times, in the early days right. that set me on track. Um, and it, it changed everything. I tell them, you're getting to reap the benefits of what That's my right. parents sowed into me or exactly the right. environment that they placed me in. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here in just another, another couple of questions. Um, what would you say to people who experienced loss and grief? Obviously, over the last years of, of the, all the COVID stuff that happened and people rebuilding new rhythms. Some people are starting careers o- over again. Uh, some people lost their business, lost their job, lost family members, lost people they loved, uh, lost income. Some people lost uh, out on the plans. They were planning to get married, didn't work out. They had to switch. Lots of loss, lots of grief. What would you say to people who've experienced There is a grief recovery process. It is a process. And when a person has loss, grief is normal. And some grief uh, takes longer to get through. Some grief has more powerful sadness to it, more powerful depression, harder time to get through it. You have more loss, more more disappointments. People have passed away. People lost their jobs, like you said. There's a lot of there's been a lot of crises yeah. and so remember this the scripture says the Lord will never leave you or forsake you you still have the ability to plant new seed and so what you do is you regroup mm. think about think about where you'd want to be six months from now mm. put a plan together write that plan out if you can't think clearly about how to do it get with somebody who can help you work through that put a plan together and then begin to walk out that new process while at the same time you're doing everything that we just talked about getting healed it's intentional getting community around you and then there will be a new season Ecclesiastes 3.1 to everything there's a purpose but on this point to everything there's a season yeah the new season will come if you'll hang in there but yeah. don't just isolate yourself, stay depressed in some corner in a dark room. Absolutely. Yeah. Make yourself receive help. Right. And there will be a new season. You have to do what's good for you. And, you know, I can speak to that when um, we, Janelle and I, when we had an, our, our son was stillborn, I literally remember bringing her home from the hospital, dropping her off at the house, and then I had a, a meeting booked with you at 2.30. I literally drove from us leaving the hospital, dropping my wife back at the house and drove straight to your office. And I remember you asking, you know, why, why did, why did you come? And I remember saying, because I I want to handle this disappointment well, because I know how not to handle it. Well, I I know my tendencies. I know um, what I lean into. And I know if I don't handle this well, I'm not going to be well. Yeah, that's correct. You know, you helped me significantly in that time. Yeah, I don't know where I'd be. Kept kept you out of a dark place. Absolutely. Which is what we have to do. It took me five years to stop crying about that. Every yeah. time I just start talking about it with complete strangers over anything, yeah. it's like an overwhelming, uncontrollable, like, what the heck is going on here? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was almost embarrassing because you'd be yeah. trying to just have a normal conversation with someone. Right. And you just, in general, mention it. That's correct. And then it's like a wave would hit me. And, and I would walk away just go, 
how embarrassing. You're not yeah. trying to help these people yeah, that's right. with whatever, just having a normal conversation. But it took five years. I recognized yeah. last year, yeah. I came to the point where I told it, and it was, to, it was interesting. Yeah. It was to another pastor who'd lost his daughter. Yeah, that's and right. So that grief reminded you of your own, however, it didn't have the same power in you as it did before. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'm healed of this emotionally. That's right. Uh, some grief takes longer to, to get through, yeah. but gradually get through it. Amen. That's Last question. What would you say to people who want to help people? Maybe they, don't, they want to do what you do, maybe something similar. What would you say to people who have a heart to help people? Well, the first thing you do is understand where your strength areas are and your gift areas mm-hmm. and use your gifting. Romans chapter 12 says your gifts are to be used. Yeah. That's the first thing I would say. Think about what you enjoy, how you could help, where you're capable of helping, mm. and then offer that help in that way. That's the most effective. And helping uh, also gets a person's mind. When you help someone, it makes you feel better, and also it gets your mind off what's bothering you. Mm. So there's multifold purposes and benefits of helping others. Sowing into other people's lives, helping them get through a hard time, and watching them get better because you've helped. Mm. Helps you feel better, encourages you, and gives up you hope if you're helping. Just a little bit of hope yeah. will spread will like encourage and Absolutely. and energize somebody to go a little bit further and yeah. when you help them it gives them hope many times if i approach someone teresa has approached someone we've just said a prayer with them an encouraging word and it was what they needed that yeah. day it, and it can change the course of the season that they're That's in exactly the direction right. they were headed it's powerful That's so. powerful. Well, you've done it for a lot of people. Thank you. You've done that for me and my family. You've done it for many people in our church and all over San Antonio. So uh, my greatest thank you to you uh, and to Teresa standing with you and by you through all these years of you guys growing together and helping a lot Amen. of people. And She's a great woman. She is. God bless you guys for, for all you've done um, and all you've been standing firm, standing strong. Thank you. Thank you. God's will and purpose be done in our lives, right? Amen. Amen. Love you, man. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Until next time, remember that the God we serve is greater than any of our failures. He's more invested in us than any human on the planet. You're a gift to this earth, to this generation, and maybe even the next. So don't shortchange yourself. Keep growing and live your life to honor Jesus and his purpose in you. Join us soon for another episode of Midweek Motion.